Today we're completing our teaching series, the book of Jonah. It's been a great journey the last few weeks where we've considered God's extravagant love, his shocking pursuit of rebels, just like you and me. The book of Jonah is very helpful because it helps us to see a very clear picture of God's gospel of grace. And we see with fresh eyes as we see the journey of this prophet called Jonah. How he was rebellious, he ran from God, and yet God is gracious and merciful and continued to pursue this wayward rebel as he lovingly continues to pursue you and me as well. It is truly a blessing to spend time with God's people looking at his word. Let's continue and let's finish the book of Jonah today by reading chapter 4. We'll be in verses 1 through 11. Jonah 4. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? This is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And the Lord said, Do you do well to be angry? And Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city, and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade, till he should see what should come of the city. Now the Lord God appointed a plant and made it come up over Jonah, that it might be a shade over his head to save him from discomfort. So Jonah was exceedingly glad because of the plant. But when dawn came up the next day, God appointed a worm that attacked the plant so that it withered. When the sun rose, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on the head of Jonah so that he was faint. And he asked that he might die and said, It is better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, Do you do well to be angry for the plant? And he said, Yes, I do well to be angry enough to die. And the Lord said, You pity the plant for which you did not labor, nor did you make it grow, which came into being in the night and perished in the night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know their right hand from their left and so much cattle? Amen. This story is just incredible. There's so many details that it almost seems like, is this real? Yes, absolutely. As we've been talking about in the book of Jonah, there are many who would doubt that this is valid, but as people who believe God's word and who believe who God is, we believe that this absolutely is historically accurate. It really happened, and it has real implications for how you and I live today. And so let me give you the main idea, the primary truth, as we do every week, because in our church, the way we have preaching week in, week out, is it is expository, something called expositional preaching where the main idea, the primary truth in a text, is the main idea, the primary truth of the sermon. That's how it should be, so that we know what God's word says to us today. And so what we're learning today is that God continually pursues rebels by revealing truth to them. This this is what we're learning, is that God continually is pursuing rebels, specifically by revealing truth 
Really, you could say, to us. Not just to them, it's to us. He is speaking to us. He is making truth known to us. And so Jonah chapter 4 tells us specifically what it is that God is revealing that we need to know as our loving God wants all of us to be close to him. Because that's what Jonah was running away from God's presence. And that's what God wanted was to be close to him, to have his children around him. That's what God wanted. And that's what he continues to want from you and me. And so there are three specific truths that we can, a lot to be said, but I want to condense it down to three specific truths in this text that God is revealing to you and me. The first one is how deep our sin is. This is the first truth that God is revealing is how deep our sin is. So our God is loving to pursue you and me by speaking to us and reminding us that our sin really does go deep. And you see that in verse 1. It says, it displeased Jonah exceedingly a lot. And he was angry. Now, if you're here and you weren't here when we looked at chapter 3, you're like, well, why is he so mad? What is he mad about? Well, the end of chapter 3, what happened? Verse 10. It says that when God saw what they did, how they had repented, Nineveh, how they had turned from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do it. So God showed mercy. God did not destroy the evil people of Nineveh because they responded to God with faith and repentance. And so God showed compassion. He showed mercy, and he did not destroy them. And that made Jonah angry. It says that he was exceedingly displeased. And he was angry. Now, the word there for displeased in the actual original is the same word for disaster or for evil. And so if you look at this in a very literal sense, to Jonah, it was evil that God showed mercy to Nineveh. This is pretty heavy. He did not want God to forgive his enemies. He wanted God to burn them. He wanted them to experience God's full wrath and none of his mercy. And so he was displeased with what God did. Verse 2 reveals more of what was in Jonah's heart. It says, and he prayed. So he's talking. He prayed to the Lord God. And what did he say? Oh, Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? Back when I was in Israel, before all of this stuff happened to me, before the fish and before all of this, all this happened when I was back at home? This is what I knew it. This is what I this is why I made haste to flee to Tarshish. This is why I ran away from you. For I knew that you are a gracious God and merciful and slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. We read earlier in the worship gathering from, from Exodus 34 when Moses was at Mount Sinai and God allowed Moses to have just a glimpse of his glory. And what is said about God? Well, Jonah just quotes it. He literally is quoting Exodus 34. He knows the Bible. He's been to Sunday school before. He's been to church many times. He knows the Bible. He's quoting it. The problem here is not information. It's not as though Jonah lacks info on who God is or what he's like or what God's word says. He's got the head. He knows he got all the answers. The problem, it's not his head, the problem is Jonah's heart. The problem with Jonah 
is that God wasn't acting the way that Jonah thought he should act. And so what happened? He becomes angry. Can you just picture, can you just see little angry prophet shaking his fist at God, saying, I knew it! I knew you were going to do this. This is exactly why I ran away from you. Because I knew if I came to Nineveh and I proclaimed that you are going to destroy them, I knew that you're so merciful and compassionate. I knew that your spirit would be at work. I knew that they would repent. And I want them to burn, not to experience your forgiveness. This is Jonah. How, how deep the sin goes into his And verse 3 says it the more. Therefore, O Lord, in light of this frustration with who you are, God, please take my life from me. Listen to him. I want to die. For it's better for me to die than to live. Can you just hear the anguish? He wants to die. He's done with life. He's done with faith with God, with this being a prophet thing, this following God thing. He wants it all to end. He's halas, finish. He's tired of it all. He's like, will you just take my life now? And if you're listening to Jonah, it's as if he's lost all hope. This is a hopeless man. You would think, listening to him, that he's lost all purpose, all meaning, all joy, Nothing tastes good. And it's like he's lost his God. He's lost his everything. And in a very real way, he has. Now, he hasn't lost the one true God because he's still in heaven and he's still ruling. And by the way, he's still talking to Jonah. But Jonah has lost his idols. He's lost his counterfeit gods. And so if we think about this for a moment, uh, a counterfeit God, an idol, is what takes the place of God in your life. An idol is what gives you meaning, what gives you hope, what makes your life matter. The reason why you can get up in the morning whenever you're, you're struggling with whatever, what gives you security or comfort. It's what brings you joy in your life. That should be your God. You should get up in the morning because of Jesus. You should love him. He should give you joy. He should fill you. He should give you meaning and purpose and security and comfort and joy. We just, we just sang this. Knowing you, Jesus, there's no greater thing. You're my joy. You're, you're my everything. That's what God's supposed to be for us. We, we shouldn't sing it. We should actually live it. And yet, what you're seeing with Jonah is he has no joy. He has no meaning. Why? Because he had put something in the place of God And then he lost it. Now, when he was in the belly of the fish, two chapters earlier, Jonah 2, verse 8, he was very insightful when he was in the belly of the fish. He said, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. So he's saying, those people that have idols, this is Jonah speaking. He's praying in the belly of the fish. Those who have idols forsake God's love. You see, Jonah didn't realize it applies to him. He thought it applied to the sailors, it applies to others, but he wasn't applying the truth that he was speaking to himself. 
See, Jonah had his own idols. And you think, well, what, what were his idols? As, as I read this, I see two primary idols in Jonah's life. One is Hebrew nationalism. He was a real patriot. He loved his country. He loved being Hebrew. He loved Israel and everything that was being an Israelite. And so Hebrew nationalism, if you want to call it that. And then I would say second, very close to it, is a religious elitism. He was elite. He thought he was better than other people because he was a Hebrew, because he was a prophet, because he knew the one true God. He was a very good Pharisee. Before Pharisees even existed, seven centuries earlier, you had one in Jonah. He thought he was better than other people, religiously, morally, and he loved being a prophet. And so his joy, his significance was wrapped up in his nationalism. That's where he found his joy. That's where he found his significance and his comfort. And so what did God do? He saves someone else. God's supposed to save Israel. So thinks Jonah. So now God is showing the same mercy and compassion to Ninevites, and he can't handle it. Now he feels less special. He's lost his God of his nationalism because now God is showing the same compassion and kindness for a different nation, a pagan one, the Ninevites. Plus, by allowing them to exist, he was threatening national security. And indeed, he was right. It wouldn't be long before Nineveh would, the the whole empire of Assyria would destroy Israel. And so he was right on that that was still God's judgment for Israel that would not repent. But you see here his heart-deep idols of Hebrew nationalism and of his religious elitism, which is why it's interesting. The first eight verses in Jonah, he doesn't speak. If you, if you reread that, he doesn't speak yet. It's narrative describing what's happening. Now, God speaks to him, and he runs away. You know the first time Jonah speaks? The first words that Jonah uses? Chapter 1, verse 9. The first time that Jonah says something in the story. It's significant. What are the first words that Jonah uses when he speaks? I am a Hebrew. Those are his words. That's who Jonah was. That defined Jonah. Who is Jonah? I am a Hebrew. You see, what you worship will define who you are. Hear me. What you worship will define who you are. Who was Jonah? He was a Hebrew. That's what he worshipped. That's who he loved most. That's, that's what gave him joy and significance and meaning and security. And why he got up in the morning was because he was a Hebrew. You see, we're always worshipping. Always. No exceptions. Not for me, not for you. We are constantly ascribing value and worth to something or someone Every second of every day, you are radiating worship. It exudes out of you. You are worshiping all the time, finding your joy, your comfort, your security in something. The question isn't, will you worship? The question is, what or whom will you worship? And so Jonah, deep down inside, was not really captivated by the beauty and the glory of God 
He was captivated by the beauty and the glory of being a Hebrew prophet. Which is why you see when he was in the belly of the fish, he never repented. We saw that a few weeks ago. He never said, God, I'm wrong. By the way, this is, this is sidebar. This is not in the notes, but this is important for you to know. Some magic words. It's great for your marriage. Learn these. Please forgive me. I was wrong. Very helpful words. You use those words regularly, if need be, daily, and really mean them. Please forgive me. I was wrong. No excuses, no pointing fingers, just confession and asking for mercy. We need to do this with each other. We need to do this with God. And Jonah never did that. He never asked for forgiveness. He never repented. He never said he was wrong. He never turned away. Why? Because he was holding on to his idols of Hebrew nationalism and religious elitism. Jonah loved those things the most. And so what happens to us when we lose our idols, when we prop things up in the place of God to find our most joy in those things, and then all of a sudden God in his mercy, like with Jonah, takes those things away? It's like a baby. You, you take away his pacifier, what is he going to do? He's going to cry. Give it back. I want it. Well, that's all of us in a very real way as adults. We're no different. We have those things that will pacify us, those things that we look to for joy and for comfort. And God says, no, you're a big boy now. You're a big girl. You no longer need a passy. And so he takes it away. Why? Because you no longer need that. You don't need the comfort of other things. You need Jesus to satisfy you. So God, being good to Jonah, takes away his idols. And how does he respond? He complains. He pouts. He's, you see frustration and despair. And you see anger. And you see depression. And, and in Jonah's case, he wanted to die. He was so done because he had lost all hope. He had lost his God, ultimately. With the Nineveh's gone, he had lost well, I'm sorry, with the end of a, not gone, with the end of a spared, he had lost his identity. Now, this is important for you to understand because your identity is wrapped up with what you worship. And so what you value most, how you relate to it or him or her, will define your identity. And so for Jonah, identity was, I'm Hebrew, I'm a prophet, this is me. Well, when God said, no, that's not what's most important, he couldn't handle it. Your identity, maybe you are the smart one in your circle, your family, your workplace, your whatever. Um, I'm the smart one. Or maybe, no, 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 I'm, I'm the pretty one among your group of friends, maybe. Or, or maybe for you, it's, I'm the successful one. I'm the one that always gets it right. I'm the healthy one. No, I'm, I'm the skinny one. Right, ladies? No. Some people do. That's their identity. And so what happens is you get so wrapped up in one of these various identities. And, and you know what happens? It's exhausting to try to uphold one of these various identities. Or maybe you have an identity and you don't like it. You don't like how you view yourself. You look in the mirror and you say, I am blank. And maybe you've come to Abu Dhabi and it's been very hard for you. I've talked to several guys in our church that have had very successful jobs, 
very successful in their home countries. And then they come here, and these poor men cannot find work. And it's been very difficult. I've talked to several guys in this church that have had a really hard time with, well, who am I if I don't have a successful job anymore? It's like this identity crisis. I've talked to ladies that their identity was wrapped up in being a mother, but then they have to go back to work, and all of a sudden there's this crisis. Or the reverse can be true of a mother who used to be very successful in business, and now she's at home, and her identity gets lost. There's so many different ways that we can have our identity wrapped up with family, with children, with jobs, with being a pastor, with Jonah being a prophet. And all of those things are wrapped up in what you value the most. So your identity is connected to what you worship. Do you want an identity where you see yourself and you actually have peace and joy and you're not tired trying to have to maintain this to impress other people? Amen, brother. That can be all of us. We can all have identities that we're working feverishly, trying so hard to uphold this, this perceived perception for everyone to see. This is who I am, and inside you're just tired. You need a new identity. One that you don't have to work to uphold. His name is Jesus. Who are you? You're redeemed, you're forgiven, you're adopted, you're loved, you have a purpose, you matter. You don't have to uphold those things, they're already true of you. And so all you have to do is just rest in Christ. And no matter what happens, jobs and family and everything else that can change this world that is ever shifting sand, you can just say, I have you, Jesus. Just Knowing you, there's no greater thing. You're my joy. And so Jonah had a lot to learn. Now, Jonah's worst fears came true. He was afraid. He was terrified of Nineveh repenting. He did not want that because he knew it would threaten who he was and his nation, which was his idol. And so what happened? He, he was angry. He had despair. Your fears are very important. Your fears are connected to your identity and your idols. They're all connected, all right? And so what you value most is what you worship. And if it's not Jesus, it's an idol. And what you worship defines who you are. So your identity is wrapped up in what you worship. And your fears are the key to helping you identify your idols. Your fears, hear me, your fears are the key to helping you to identify what your heart idols are. What are you afraid of? What do you fear the most? What are you afraid of losing? What are you afraid that if this happens, oh, if only, or if this doesn't happen, what are you afraid of? Whatever those fears are may help you to identify what it is you're finding your security in, what you're trying to find your value and your purpose in. And so whenever your identity is in family, job, financial income, whatever it might be, those kind of things come and go, and they can change. And so if we are truly living, we're abiding and following Jesus, 
that we won't be afraid of tomorrow because we're still going to have Jesus. No matter what happens tomorrow, you still have joy. You still have hope. You still have purpose. You still have eternity. You still have Jesus. What more could we need? And the problem is we have a very small view, very shallow, like Jonah. And so we give ourselves to other things. But praise be to God who does not give up on rebels like Jonah or me or you. He doesn't give up on us. He continues to speak to us, continues to be kind and to encourage us in the middle of this very real anguish that Jonah's this crisis, his identity crisis, his seeing his idols. The Lord just talks to him. No rebuke, no anger, no condemnation. God is just talking to his child. And he says, verse 4, do you do well to be angry? God is calm. There's a child throwing a temper tantrum, and this parent is perfectly calm, saying, are you sure that this is worth it, Jonah? Are you sure that you should be angry over this? He's so kind. I mean, God is just amazing to me. This is shocking. He says, Jonah, are you sure that you're accurately examining the situation to really see what's going on here? Are you sure you're not missing something, Jonah? The problem is that Jonah's sin, just like with us, went very deep. Verse 5, we see it. So Jonah went out of the city and sat to the east of the city and made a booth for himself there. He sat under it in the shade till he could see what would happen, what would become of the city. So he still wants to see the barbecue. He wants a braai, you know, South African. But he doesn't want mutton. He doesn't want beef. He wants the Ninevite to burn. So he goes, finds a safe distance where he can still see the city. Okay? There's a little booth of sorts with materials he can find around him. And he sits in this little homemade shelter to see the city burn, hoping, just hoping that maybe God will show no mercy, hoping that God will burn down the Ninevites. Very deep. His sin went so deep. His sinful desires were deeper than he probably could ever imagine, just like for you and me. Our sinful desires go so much deeper than probably we ever want to admit. But do you believe this? I really mean this. Do you truly believe that your sinful desires go deep? Or do you believe, I mean this, do you believe today that because you go to church and the zoo, because you try to be a good person, because you have a Christian heritage, tradition, that you're okay. Because you have your cultural or casual Christianity, that you're good. Because maybe when you were a baby, you were baptized, and so I'm good. I did the ritual. I'm a Christian, so to speak. I'm done. I'm fine just how I am. There are many people that think this way, and that is not Christianity. Christianity is not just a religion. It's so much more than that. 
It's knowing Jesus. It is repenting of your sins, turning away from your sins with all of your heart, confessing your complete trust in a person. His name is Jesus. He died on the cross for you. And he died on the cross because it was the only way. There was no other way for salvation except Jesus dying. Christianity can save you. A person saves you. His name is Jesus. And so if you have never come to that point of confessing, you can do it today. But for those of us that continue, that already are believers, we can still drift ever so slightly, ever so quickly away from him and give our heart to things that will rob us of God's presence in our lives. And so God is continually revealing truth He's saying, I'm here. He's saying, I love you. But he is saying, son, daughter, your sin goes deep. And you need me. You can't free yourself. You can't. We need Jesus. We can't forget. And God reminds us, because he's merciful, that we need him. So God is continuing to speak to his wayward, rebellious son, even in his his ignorance and his foolishness, God is revealing that our sin is deep. But second truth God reveals is that how God's grace is greater. So we have how deep our sin is and how great God's grace is. So God is revealing, yes, your sin is deep, but he's revealing, secondly, my grace is is deeper. My grace is stronger. My grace is greater than even your sin. And so what you see in verses 6 and 7 is God sends a plant that grows overnight. And he was exceedingly glad. He loved this. It made him very happy that there was a plant to give him shade as he's still hoping to see none of a burn. But the next morning, God also sends a worm that then kills the plant. And then God sends a scorching wind, it says in verse 8. And then he sends the sun that beats down on Jonah's head. And so now he's faint. Now he's hot, both on the inside. Emotionally, he's hot, but physically, he's hot too. And he's like, I just want to die. Second time he says this. It's better for me to die than it is to live. And despite this terrible attitude, God is still patient. This is amazing. This is so shocking that God still loves Jonah, still is patient and loving to him. In verse 9, God just talked to him. But God said to Jonah, do you do well to be angry for the plant? It's like, really, Jonah? You're so angry about this plant? God wants him to come to his senses. And, And how does he respond? Heck yeah! Angry enough to die, he says it a third time. I'd rather die because my plant is gone. See, it's funny, right? It is funny. But it's not funny. Because this is all of us. We so give our heart to things of this world that deep down inside we know cannot, will not ever satisfy us. And yet when God takes it away, we we despair, and we get frustrated, and we get angry, we complain, lash out at other people, and it affects how we walk with Jesus. And we're no different. This, you know what this is? This is a mirror. That's what this is. It shows you and me to ourselves and how we can very easily be. Maybe it's not a plant. Maybe it's not Nineveh. You're not in northern Iraq, how Jonah is. And yet, the heart 
issue, the heart attitude, can so easily be the same. And God is gracious. He's so gracious because he was, he was gracious to Jonah to save him from himself. He saved the Ninevites. And what's difficult to believe, but it's true, is when Jonah experienced grace, he thanked God. When the Ninevites experienced the very same grace, he got angry. Are you ever like Jonah? Are we ever like him? You know, I think Jonah probably was thinking that God owed it to him. I don't know. I can't get in his head, but as I've poured over this text the last month or so, I really believe that Jonah had this entitlement. He thought that likely God owed it to him. Maybe we think to ourselves, hey, God, I'm a good person. I'm obeying you now. Maybe I didn't obey you before. I'm obeying you now. I'm working hard to be a good Christian. So now, God, you do what I want. I go to church. I tithe. I teach the kids. That should be like a bonus. And so, God, now you owe me what it is that I want because I do so much for you. I'm good. I'm a good Christian. So now give me what I want. And then God says, no, you so have this backwards. It is a privilege that you can know me. It is a privilege that you were forgiven. It is a privilege to serve, even in the kids' area. This should be joy for you. And you should want to do it more because you're experiencing my presence and my pleasure as you're doing those things. So to have this entitlement mentality shows that we don't get it. Jonah probably thought, hey, I've been through so much. A fish, God, I was in a fish for three days. I've been through so much junk. Just do this one thing for me. Burn the Ninevites. That's all I want you to do. It's not too much to ask for you. They're evil. They're going to destroy us in the future. Get rid of them. Your will be done, not mine. No, he didn't say that. He said, my will be done, period. This is what Jonah wants. But we're the same. We're all sinners. We all have the things that we want, and, and we would try to wager with God and say, I'll do this for you, now you do this for me, and it just doesn't work. God's grace is an absolute gift. And God had a plan to save the people from all nations, including the Ninevites. And he has a plan to continue to save people from all nations while using ECC off islands. He wants to use us to tell other people. You see, what you see here is that we are enslaved to our idols. And God wants to free us, just like Jonah. He wanted to liberate Jonah from his idolatry. But Jonah kept running away. He wanted to be free. You know what that's like? It's like a fish that wants to be free from water. If a fish frees himself from water, he's going to find something. He's going to find death, not freedom. And when we try to free ourselves from God and do things our own way, we're going to find death, not freedom. You will only find freedom as you are walking with Jesus because he alone can liberate you from your sin from your slavery to your idols that you and I can worship. So 
Rather than look to extricate ourselves from God, we should run to him and not be like Jonah. Run to his grace, not from it. So we see here that God's revealing that one, our sin goes deep, and then he continues to to be merciful and gracious, and he is still being gracious to Jonah, even the situation. He showed grace in the Nevites, and so he is showing us that God's grace is greater. And this points to the ultimate salvation in Jesus Christ. That's what this points to. The last truth is how expansive God's mission is. How expansive it is. You see, God has a mission to save people, to free them from their sin. And it only happens through the gospel. It only happens through Jesus Christ. And so if you've received him already as your savior, then your goal is to continue to abide in Jesus and live for his mission. You see, here's an important truth that you and I have to learn. You and I cannot fix our problems. This is important. You and I cannot just fix our problems. We can't. You will only experience spiritual growth and spiritual healing. The more that you clearly, I mean is that you clearly understand Christ's incredible work on the cross. The more you understand what Jesus did for you on the cross and daily think about it, daily read his word, daily meditate, focus your thinking on it, daily abide and follow Jesus, then what happens is that you begin to be more aware of his mercy every single day, more aware of his presence being active in your life and more desirous to engage in the mission. Because his mission is expansive. And you see it in verse 10 and 11 as we close. He says, and the Lord said, you pity the plant in the parish. Verse 11, should I not pity Nineveh, the great city? More than 120,000 persons who don't know the left hand from the right. These people that are so lost spiritually, he's saying. They don't even know left or right spiritually. They're just lost. And you're so worried about a plant, Jonah. And you don't notice all the people that, are, that would have been perishing. And we can be the same. We can get so focused on whatever our life and our pursuits and our kids' activities and all of our stuff. And we don't see the people around us that are perishing. We're so concerned about little things. And we miss God's mission. It's expansive. We should be telling others. Be intentional with your friends and neighbors and co-workers and tell them what God has done for you. Tell them the joy that's available in Jesus alone. You see, the Ninevites are people that if you would have seen them, you would have thought, nope, no way, God can't save them. He did. There are people in our world here in Abu Dhabi that we say, there's no way, God can't save them. Yes, he can. Yes, he can. God can do it. And that's how we're here. As we enjoy Jesus, he captivates our hearts, and all of a sudden, we want to. We just want to tell others. And all of a sudden, the little things in our lives just don't matter as much in light of knowing Jesus and making him known. And so we are to glorify God by making and developing disciples. This is our mission. This is our focus as a church. So are you engaged? I really mean this. Are you engaged serving the church and serving the world? You should be. This is what you're made for. Jonah wasn't, but you can be. 
God reveals that we are sinners, that he is so gracious and that he has a mission for us to be a part of. This is, this is what Jonah, the book of Jonah, is about. And the more that we see who we are in light of Christ and his sacrifice and God's mercy that we see here in Jonah, God's mercy for the nations pointing to the ultimate reality in Jesus, the more it's going to impact how you talk to your wife and how you work, how you impact your children, how you serve, how generous you are, how you talk, how you think, what you view, how you come and you go. Your whole life is impacted by these realities. So God's pursuing rebels like you and me so that we can enjoy him and fulfill his mission. Did you notice how Jonah just ends? It's just like this ah, screeching halt, this abrupt ending. It's like, whoa, what happened? The book just ends. So did Jonah repent? I don't know. It doesn't say. It ends open-ended. It ends kind of like with a question. So the reader approaches Jonah and as the book ends, it asks the question, are you going to reflect the heart of Jonah, selfish? Or are you going to reflect the heart of God, who is sacrificial and is compassionate and wants others to experience mercy? That's our question. Will you reflect Jonah's heart or God's heart? Will you pray with me? Father, we praise you. For you alone are worthy of our praise. You are beautiful to us. We so need you. We need your presence. We are thankful for your approval that we know that we don't deserve and we know that we can't earn. But we thank you for Jesus who made a way. We thank the book of Jonah that points to our Savior and his work on the cross. The mercy seen in Jonah points to the mercy that you've shown to us. Father, I pray that we would be a people that reflect your heart, a people that know how much we've been forgiven so that we can then forgive others and see the grace that we've received. We can then give grace to others. Father, we praise you and we thank you this morning. And we pray this in the name of Our master, Jesus. Amen.